Let's open our Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 20. Our hearts prepared by worship for the Word of God. We're studying through the book of Acts. We're in Acts chapter 20. Our text this morning is verses 1 through 15. The topic, the Apostle Paul raises from the dead a young man who falls out of a third-story window after dozing off during Bible study. Oh, my gosh. The title of our message this morning, In the Sill of the Night. Can't take credit for it. It was suggested to me. My title, I was a little bit sketchy on my title, Window Pane. I thought the sill of the night was an improvement, and so... Verse 1, after the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. Now, when he had gone over that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece and stayed three months. And when the Jews plotted against him as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. And Sopater of Berea accompanied him to Asia, also Aristarchus and Secundus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derbe, and Timothy and Tychicus, and Trophimus of Asia. But these men going ahead waited for us at Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days joined them at Troas, where we stayed seven days. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. And in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep, and as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down, fell on him, and embracing him said, don't trouble yourselves, for his life is in him. Now when he had come up and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even until daybreak, he departed. And they brought the young man in alive, and they were not a little comforted. Then we went ahead to the ship and sailed to Asos, there intending to take Paul on board, for so he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. And when he met us at Asos, we took him on board and came to Mytilene. We sailed from there. The next day came opposite Chios. The following day, we arrived at Samos and stayed at Trogilium. The next day, we came to Miletus. Let's pray together. Lord, even as we've read the text, your Holy Spirit has begun to direct our mind to an understanding of various things that you would say to us. We pray that you would continue now by the ministry of your Spirit as we teach your word. Anoint it and bless it, Lord, because we love you and we desire to draw close to you. We pray in Jesus' name and those who agreed said, amen. There are an awful lot of songs that use traveling more or less as a metaphor for the progress of our lives. On the Road Again, Willie Nelson. Ventura Highway by America. The Long and Winding Road, of course, the Beatles. Life in the Fast Lane, the Eagles. Goodbye Yellow Brick Road by Elton John. All of these just on that one station. But anyway, <laughs> you see what era I'm stuck in. You can probably think of a half a dozen more. I don't want you to right now, but uh, you can. The metaphor works at a very emotional level because we suspect life is a journey that is leading somewhere. When you become a Christian, you're excited to find out that life is a journey and you are homeward bound. 
It's why John Bunyan's allegorical book, Pilgrim's Progress, has been translated into over 100 languages and continues to be a bestseller in every generation since it was published in 1678. In the opening verses of chapter 20, we're presented with a detailed itinerary of Paul's current journey. His earthly destination was Jerusalem and then Rome after that. Beyond those cities, though, he was homeward bound to heaven, to the city whose builder and maker is God. So are you. You are homeward bound to heaven, a pilgrim making progress along life's road. Along his pilgrim journey, we see Paul doing at least two things. He invested his life for the Lord, and he imparted the life of the Lord. Maybe not as dramatically as the great apostle, but we can do those things too. I'll organize my thoughts around two points. Number one, find ways to invest your life for the Lord as you journey homeward. And number two, find ways to impart the life of the Lord as you journey homeward. First of all, let's look and begin in verses one through six. Find ways to invest your life for the Lord as you journey homeward. The theme really of investing for the Lord runs all through these verses. You can't avoid it. For one thing, Paul was returning to Jerusalem to bring the poor saints in the church there an offering he had been collecting from the Gentile churches. There was a famine down in Jerusalem. They were hit pretty hard, and Paul was taking an offering, and he was going to bring it down there. The many men that are named in this section are believed to be representatives of those various churches. They were accompanying Paul with the funds that each church was generously donating. And so right off the top, we're reminded that giving of our finances to the Lord is an investment that will pay eternal dividends. Each of us should ask the Lord to show how we can give according to the New Testament principles, which are sacrificially, joyfully, and regularly. Financial giving, though, is just the proverbial tip of the iceberg when it comes to investing your life for the Lord. Let's see some other ways we can invest as we travel with Paul through the text. So again in verse 1, after the uproar had ceased, Paul called the disciples to himself, embraced them, and departed to go to Macedonia. Now when he had gone over that region and encouraged them with many words, he came to Greece. Obviously, we're in the middle of a story. If you were here last week or if you've read chapter 19, you know that there was a near riot in the city of Ephesus over Paul's uh, effect in that city, Uh, that riot has now ceased, and he is leaving Ephesus, headed out on this journey. Scholars say his travels in this section add up to over 12,000 miles on land and sea. He was called to be an apostle, and he invested his life fully in that work. Think about your spiritual journey for a moment. What would your theme song be? It's a fun exercise, but one with an eternal purpose. Each of us has a calling to fulfill. Each of us has good works that God has set before us to discover. And and this text is a good reminder of that, that we are on this journey wanting to invest along the way for the Lord. Verse 3. He stayed three months, and when the Jews plotted against him as he was about to sail to Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Scholars believe Paul had booked passage on a ship that took Jews back to the Holy Land for the annual feasts. Some of the Jews discovered Paul would be traveling on that ship with them. 
They therefore plotted to kill him along the way, probably by tossing him overboard. Search and rescue wasn't uh, in those days what it is today. Uh, If you were a man overboard, especially if you were the Apostle Paul, you were just one less man. Uh, And so this would be a great opportunity for uh, these Jews who hated Paul and his message to kill him. God revealed this plan to Paul somehow, and he altered his travel itinerary. This reminds us that life itself is a gift from the Lord. Our days, all of us, our days are numbered, and the Lord knows their end. All the more incentive, therefore, to invest ourselves serving him. Uh, Don't put off Uh, serving the Lord. Uh, You really don't know how much time you have. Verse 4, And Sopater of Berea accompanied him to Asia, also Aristarchus and Segundus of the Thessalonians, and Gaius of Derbe, and Timothy and Tychicus and Trophimus of Asia. All great boy names for those of you who are pregnant right now. These men going ahead waited for us at Troas, but as we sailed from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and in five days joined them at Troas where we stayed seven days. Now these guys were representing their churches and were in charge of the offerings each fellowship had taken for their Jewish brothers and sisters. We already mentioned investing by giving. And we should add that our responsibility is to invest in the work of helping struggling churches or what we would normally categorize as missions. And really these guys, uh, some of them were uh, like Timothy, for example, and Titus or were men who had dedicated their lives to full-time Christian ministry. But a lot of these guys, for them, this was a short-term mission trip uh, like we sometimes offer in our fellowship. Uh, So there's a lot of investing here in missions, financial investing in missions, personal investing of time in missions, and and so we're reminded uh, of what a a wonderful opportunity that is as God brings certain individuals to us, whether, you know, over the years here we've helped uh, churches in the Philippines or in Honduras or in Belize. Currently, the last few years, we've been heavily involved with Calvary Chapels down in Peru, especially in the uh, Andes Mountains in Pucallpa, and, and uh, what a great fulfillment of this investing of our lives and the life of our church really is. In verse 4, uh, excuse me, uh, again in verses 4 through 6, something else is going on in the background of this journey. Uh, You're not told here, but in other portions of Scripture, you learn that Paul, while he was in Macedonia and Greece for perhaps a year and three months, he wrote 2 Corinthians and Romans. Uh, Obviously, all of the epistles are important. Romans considered one of the great writings of literature, you know, on any scale, certainly the book in the New Testament that uh, contains the most theological impact, an an incredible book, Uh, and so Paul was busy writing during this time, and we would say that he invested himself writing the Word of God, Uh, much, just in passing, much more difficult in those days than in the days of Word 2007 and Word Perfect and whatever program that you happen to use where you can cut and paste and delete and uh, send it as a PDF and all of those kinds of things. I mean, this was difficult uh, dictation and writing and putting this together. It was costly even from a financial standpoint to get the scrolls to write on. And so he invested himself writing the Word of God. 
we can invest ourselves in reading the Word of God. And, and that time that we spend with the Lord is an investment of time that will pay great dividends. Now, I want to skip the excitement in the window at Troas for a moment. And so let's skip down to verses 13 through 15. Take a look at verse 13. Then we went ahead to the ship and sailed to Asos, there intending to take Paul on board, for so he had given orders, intending himself to go on foot. In this whole section, the use of the word we alerts you to the fact that Dr. Luke had rejoined Paul, probably at Philippi, where we last saw him. Luke is the author of the book of Acts, also the author of the gospel that bears his name, and he's a traveling companion of the apostle Paul. He had been left behind in Philippi after the incident there. Now he's uh, linked back up with Paul, and they're traveling together. It's great on a mission trip of any length to have a doctor or a nurse with you. Amen? I mean, you know, we, I, I'd do anything to have somebody who understands Western medicine uh, with us on those trips. It's a tremendous uh, blessing and benefit. Same in those days to have Dr. Luke travel with you, and especially if you're the Apostle Paul, because Paul literally invested himself physically in the ministry and took a beating for the Lord. I mentioned that Paul wrote 2 Corinthians during this trip. Here are some of the things he said of himself in that epistle. It's uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. He said, I'm in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, meaning beatings, in prisons more frequently, in deaths, plural, often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and night I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren." In weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, fasting often, in cold and nakedness, and besides the other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Now, I just have to say for myself, and, and this is just me, it makes any complaining I might want to do about being too busy or too tired serving the Lord seem what it is, immature whining on my part. Uh, you know, I mean, if Paul the Apostle, I mean, can you imagine complaining? I know I'd probably do it. Probably some of us would complain if the Apostle Paul was there. Uh, he wouldn't complain for long. I think he'd probably just take his shirt off and say, you know, when you, when you have some of these marks, uh, then you can, you know, we can have some camaraderie. And he'd probably go on in a teaching moment to say, and when you have some of these marks, you won't need to complain anymore because you'll understand that your life has been given to the Lord. And so let's just, uh, you know, covenant you and I together to quit complaining about serving the Lord. Uh, yes, there are problems, uh, but we don't have this level of problem. Paul was all in when it came to investing. Some of you, I've heard, like to watch poker being played on television. You ever see, you know, your ESPN, when did poker become a sport? <laughs> I mean, I understand watching sports, you know, I can get sucked into that, and, uh, you know, football playoffs are going on, and Super Bowl's in February this year, is that correct? When, I mean, how, 
How lame is that? When is it going to be March? Pretty soon the Super Bowl will be on Easter, and then you'll have a real dilemma. But anyway, uh, so, so, you know, there's poker. It's a sport now, but, you know, I, these guys, then they go all in. You know, they don't, really don't have enough money to play, so I'm all in. And if, they're, you know, if, they, if they lose that hand, they're wiped out because they're all in. Paul, when it came to serving the Lord, Paul was all in. Wherever he is, whenever you see him, I'm all in. He had just been in Ephesus, 25,000 silversmiths at the Silversmith Union. And some of you guys know how tough unions can be. These are like, you know, the the teamsters of their day, and, and these guys, they want to kill Paul, and he says, I'll talk to him. I want to talk to him about Jesus Christ. He goes, and he might as well say, I'm all in. Today, right now, if this is when God wants to take me home, I'm going to go all in, and he can take me home while I'm preaching about Jesus Christ. And so this guy invested his life. Um, the, how can we do any less? At the end of verse 13, Acts 20, 13, you're told Paul sent the others ahead and traveled what was a distance of 20 miles alone and on foot. We can't know his reasons, but we can know that it would give him time to be alone, and time alone would be time alone with Jesus Christ. The busiest, most prolific apostle the world has ever seen built time into his schedule to invest in an intimate personal relationship with the Lord. I mean, he literally wanted to walk with the Lord uh, for 20 miles and have that time of relative relaxation and rest. How he could even walk at this time in his life. I mean, think about the beatings, the shipwrecks. Um, have you seen these guys that have been, you know, they're out in their sailboat, you know, and, and they get caught at sea and they're all sunburned and they can't talk because their lips are all blue. I mean, Paul, you know, he, he was a beat up guy. He was not a pretty boy at all. Uh, all the accounts of him were that he was naturally ugly and, and then, <laughs> no, seriously, uh, you know, the accounts that, and, and, and he had all of these physical problems. He's the kind of guy that when you heard that the Apostle Paul was going to be there, you would not have picked him out of the crowd. And when he got up to speak, it would be a little bit different. To the point where some scholars believe he had this eye disease called ophthalmalia, which caused his eyes to weep kind of a pussy stuff kind of like the worst case of, of pink eye that you can imagine. And so Paul would be up here right now like this, and his eyes would be like floating down, you know, and it just, it's just almost grotesque. But there was a power in that life. <laughs> Go ahead, you can laugh. <laughs> I was just trying to paint, you know, I mean, here I am, you know, the handsome specimen, you know. <laughs> It's hard to believe. But anyway, uh, anyway, so, you know, he, he was really, you know, I, I don't even know what I'm talking about now, but he was, he, he built into his life this intimacy with Jesus Christ because that's where that power came from. That's where that energy came from. There was nothing in him. He was willing to die any moment. His body was worn out and beat up. Uh, but he belonged to the Lord. One more thing about investing. Um, there's tons, but here's one more at least that we can glean from verse 13. Luke indicated that Paul had given them orders. Those who were traveling on this particular journey saw him as their leader. They respected his leadership. They invested their lives by submitting to that leadership. That's a tough thing for us to do sometimes, uh, but God has raised us up to do it. 
Uh, and when we do it, think of that too as an investment for the Lord. You know, the Lord gives us a lot of investment opportunities uh, if we're willing to take them. Verse 14, and when he met us at Asos, we took him on board and came to Mytilene, and we sailed from there, and the next day came opposite uh, Chios or Chios. Uh, the following day, we arrived at Samos and stayed at Trogilium. The next day, we came to Miletus. These guys must have been travel-weary. Any of you who traveled over the, you know, the uh, uh, Christmas break or for Thanksgiving, I mean, some people like to travel generally, but I mean, it's wearisome work, and you have these layovers. Uh, I, I can remember being stuck out on a tarmac in Honduras for several hours. Why they have to turn off the fresh air and air conditioning in your airplane while you're out on the tarmac. You're in Honduras, you, you, they're not serving any drinks or any water, and it's, it's about, I think at one point it got to be 1,000 degrees in the, in the cabin, and, you, and it's just you're wondering who's going to die first, basically, or who's going to rise up and rebel uh, and, and storm the captain. I mean, it's just, so travel can be tough, but not as tough as what these guys had. I mean, this is real travel. I mean, this is first century, third world travel uh, along dangerous roads and on these little boats and stuff. And they are travel weary. We ought often to feel travel weary on our spiritual journey homeward. There's nothing wrong with that. A lot of times people talk about being burned out. I think sometimes when people talk about being burnt out in ministering, what they really are is bummed out. They're angry, they're mad, they're upset, things aren't going their way, they're walking in the flesh rather than in the spirit. We can be tired, and not only can we be tired, we ought to be tired. To the extent that we believe that Jesus is the Son of God come in the flesh, raised from the dead, in heaven, poised and ready to return, we want to be about that business of, of, of ministering to others and sharing with others, uh, and now is the time to be a little bit tired and to pull some extra shifts in the Christian life uh, as we see that day approaching. And so we're going to be weary sometimes, but we're exhorted in the Word of God to not be weary in doing good. You can read that in 2 Thessalonians 3.13, because as it says in Galatians 6.9, in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. There Paul uses the metaphor of a harvest rather than investing, but it's the same idea. You put in the work, you put in the money, you expect to get something back at the end. If you have financial investments, you probably track their ups and downs occasionally, hoping the stock market doesn't crash, leaving you penniless. The investment of your life for the Lord is being protected for eternity. It's in a place where it can't be touched by robbers or rust. It's earning tremendous interest. Your only concern, once you finally see it in heaven, is going to be that you should have invested more uh, and received more. Now, we skipped the fun part, so let's look at it now. Uh, it's in verses 7 through 12 where you find ways to impart the life of the Lord as you journey homeward. It was a rare opportunity to hear the Apostle Paul, ugly or not, expound God's Word. The church in Troas acquired a meeting room on the third floor of a building, and they packed in to listen to him. Verse 7, now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. 
Now, in passing, we're going to note that this is one of several times in the New Testament we're told that Christians met on Sunday. You can meet any day you want. We're no longer under the obligation to meet on Saturday as the Sabbath. I mean, just these verses alone that tell us that the New Testament church met on Sunday are enough to give you the idea that no one was keeping the Sabbath in the Jewish sense. Sunday is the day the early church met, so we have been following that pattern. But if you really want to get into it with these people who are a little bit legalistic, Sunday is not the Christian Sabbath. Uh, A lot of people say, well, Saturday used to be the Sabbath, now Sunday is the Sabbath, so we shouldn't work and you can't go to work. Hey, the early Christians worked all day Sunday, and they met Sunday night is when they met. Uh, because of the culture that they lived in. And so let's just be free to worship whenever we want, any day of the week. We've adopted in our culture for lots of different historic reasons, uh, Sunday morning worship. And I think that's great. That works for us. It works for most people. But a lot of people can't come to church on Sunday morning, and I'm not going to tell them that they shouldn't, uh, you know, because they work. Uh, come on a Wednesday night, come whenever they can. And so the first church met Sunday night, so they got together to hear Paul. They were going to break bread, and that refers to the custom of sharing a meal first called the love feast or the agape feast, and it would be followed by teaching and then the observing of the Lord's Supper. Paul had been speaking for about six hours until midnight. It's significant because, as I mentioned, most of his hearers worked hard all that Sunday. It was the first day of the week for them. It was their Monday. They put in a full work day, many of them slaves, and they would be getting up early to go to work the next day. And I'm not sure how many of them knew what they had signed on for. Uh, I don't know that Paul made an announcement I just see this as a natural kind of a thing where the church got together and they ate and then Paul started talking and uh, Paul had a lot to say. He had an awful lot to say as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Uh, Just his personal stories would fill up six hours, Uh, but he was also teaching from the word of God and so they were just going on and on and in verse eight it says, there were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together. Luke is a good writer And he mentioned these to give you the smells and the sights and the sounds of that meeting. It was murky and smoky. Oil lamps give off that kind of nauseating smell, uh, you know, that I just, makes me gag to just think about it. And the light would be dim and there would be all of this kind of flickering light and and people milling around and just the normal smells of of that kind of an environment and all and the food and just animals. Uh, it, it no seriously, I mean you know it's a culture where animals are coming in and out, wild dogs and roosters and I mean it's just crazy stuff going on. And so it was just a yucky place. And so after about five and a half hours You'd want to sit by a window. If it was me, I'd be eyeing a window seat. And as soon as, you know, Fred got up to uh, change position, I'd be in the window. And you'd just sit back there on the windowsill, one of those broad sills, and just kind of sit back and get a little bit of fresh air and then, you know, kind of get back into the meeting and you'd be listening and get some fresh air. And then Eutychus, in verse 9, Uh, in a window sat, he was sinking into a deep sleep, he was overcome by sleep, and as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. 
he just, you know how it is when you doze off, you just, huh, you know, kind of a thing. And he just overhunt and he went down and he was gone. Uh, I, I just, this is, there's a few scenes, I mean, you want to see all of this stuff, obviously, but there's a few scenes in the Bible you'd really like to see, this is one of them. The other one I really would like to see is the guys who took the roof apart to let the, the, the paralytic down, but this would be a great, who noticed it first? When did Paul notice it? Maybe Paul was the one, you know, Paul's teaching, he's up in front, it's like, anybody seen Eutychus? I mean, if you're a preacher, you see who's nodding off, and you think, ah, oh, you know, okay, Eutychus is not, Eutychus, oh, Eutychus, you know, and stuff, and now what would happen? You're on the third floor of a building, just imagine, you know, this is a big group of people. We don't know if it was, you know, 50 people, 100 people, who knows? Let's say there's 75 people there, take a round number, and uh, somebody's going to scream, somebody's going to start yelling, you know, I mean, and this, you know, somebody's going to hear him hit the ground, I mean, this is, a, this is a real thing. And so he's down on the ground and he's dead, but Paul hadn't gotten to his conclusion yet. He wasn't done. And so in verse 10, Paul went down, fell on him, and embracing him said, ah, don't worry about it, his life is in him. Now, when it says in verse nine, he was taken up dead, it's a technical kind of a way of Luke, who was a doctor, saying he was dead. And then Paul goes down, he says, no, his life is in him after he embraces him. And so this is a miracle. He raises Eutychus immediately from the dead. Verse 11, now when he had come up, broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till daybreak, he departed. And they brought the young man in alive and they were not a little comforted. Couple of things here. One is that no one else fell asleep. I'll tell you that right now. (laughs) From that moment on, Or at least they had, I'm sure they developed a buddy system, you know, hey, watch me. And probably the windows were cleared, you know, maybe not such a good idea to sit near the window after all. As a matter of under, as a master rather of understatement, Luke says that they, when they brought Eutychus back into the meeting, they were not a little comforted. I mean, I don't want to be graphic. Well, actually I do, but uh, I mean... There's this, you've been following the story of the window washer who fell 47 floors and might fully recover. My first thought, I don't know if I want to fully recover after I fell 47 floors. Uh, You know, I mean, what are you going to recover into, you know? Uh, And so Eutychus, he falls three stories. He's asleep, so he's not really knowing what's going on. I mean, he's splattered out on the ground, you know, probably like one of those chalk figures that you see. And so this is, you know, uh, that's, you look out the window, there he is, and then the next thing you know, he's back normal. You know, he's not walking with a limp, he doesn't have a compound fracture or anything like, he's just healed and raised from the dead, and so they were not a little comforted. Paul said this would be a great time to take a break, Uh, you know, no pun intended, and... uh, (laughs) And so they had a little snack break, and then he continued through the wee hours of the morning, teaching until daybreak. The believers had to go straight from that meeting to a hard day's work. Paul went from there to a hard day's travel, but neither could pass up this amazing opportunity to be together. Now, this is the time of the message where I rebuke you uh, if you're listening in a lazy manner or, you know, for not being a good enough Christian. You know, I mean, these people could sit for you know, six, then on to, you know, eight, 10, 12 hours listening to the Word of God, and, you know, we can't handle 45 minutes on Sunday morning, blah, 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 blah. (laughs) To be honest with you, I was thinking about that, and I thought, you know, Lord, I'm just happy anybody comes on Sunday morning. (laughs) 
And a lot of times people, I do see some of you nod off and you know I want to be honest as I can with you, I, I love it when you sleep at church. I love it uh, for lots of reasons. Uh, one, I can't get in trouble for what I've said. Uh, you know, you can't verify anything. It gives us a chance to edit the tape. But uh, the other thing is, I mean, if, if okay, if, you're, if you pull an all-night shift or, you know, you're working hard or, or something's going on and, and then you think, wow, you know, I'm still, I'm going to go to church. I, I'm not going to go to sleep. I'm, I'm just going to shower or I'm just going to change my, I'm going to go right to church. And if you're sitting sleeping in church, I think God is just blessing your socks off. I really do, you know, because you're there. Now, if you're up partying all night Saturday uh, and you fall asleep, uh, we, we have ways of determining these things, and, and uh, you're not going to get as blessed, you know. But still, I'd love, I don't, and so sometimes I don't, I usually don't see too much, really, and then sometimes people go, say, hey, I'm sorry, I was nodding off during the message, you know, and I didn't see you, but you feel guilty, and I'm just really, I'm happy that you were here. I'm happy that you, if you want to sleep, sleep here at church. Uh, you know, maybe something good will happen. Just stay away from the balcony, uh, perhaps, you know. I mean, if you're going to be asleep, don't. You know how sometimes you do, you kind of put your head down. That's a really low balcony ledge. I'm kind of afraid somebody's going to go over at some point. Uh, and I don't know that I could raise you from the dead. So just, you know, it, in fact, let me say right now, you're on your own if you go over the balcony. So, um, we do have an eyewash station, that might help. But anyway, so, uh, so that's not it. Plus, I'm not the Apostle Paul. There's only a few people I would listen to for 12 hours, and I'm not one of them. I wouldn't even listen to myself for 12 hours. There's maybe one or two uh, guys that I know who I could listen to for, for that length of time and be enthralled and love to hear because of their relationship with the Lord. And so, you know, what we're doing here on Sunday morning, it's fine. Just because you sit through an hour-long Bible study doesn't make you more spiritual. I think whatever you can say in an hour, you can say in 40 minutes. And whatever you can say in 40 minutes, you can say in 40 minutes. So anyway, which is about the length of our Bible studies. But anyway, um, now... I do think that this episode should exhort us. I don't want to continue, just completely walk away from it. The truth is, we can be so glutted with opportunities to hear the Bible being taught that we don't think of gathering together with the saints on Sunday as something that is precious. Or worse, we begin to be drawn to things that are new and exciting presentations because we're tired of the same old thing. Again, I, I could talk at length about this. I do think that if you're going to teach the Word of God, you have an obligation, first of all, to have a gift to do it, which is nothing that you can do. It's something God has to give you. And then you should do a good job at it. Uh, you should be interesting. Uh, I've sat through a lot of really, I, I can say this to you, we're friends. Are we friends? We're friends. I've sat through a lot of just, just uh, you know, C minus D plus Bible studies. Uh, the only thing that lifted it at all was that it was the Bible, and, and I could, you know, God could speak to me from, but, you know, there are a lot of times, I mean, if, if someone seems unprepared, guess what? They are unprepared. If it seems all spontaneous with a lot of hanky action, then, then there's, there's been no preparation. And so I do think that if you're going to teach the Bible, you should take it seriously and be prepared and ask the Lord for a message and try and give people something that maybe they couldn't get on their own. If you could learn, I mean, you know, if all I'm giving you is the facts, I just buy the book for you 
and give it. So there's a lot that goes in. So I understand all of that, but the bottom line is we are glutted in America. We sometimes blow off church uh, because we're tired. Uh, we stayed up too late, for what, maybe even for good reasons. We can catch church another time, uh, and I think we need to regain the attitude that it's precious. I was talking to one of the brothers after first service. He says, yeah, what happened when I was first saved? You know, back during the Jesus movement, we would go all night studying the Bible. You know, we'd go anywhere to, to just hear the Bible taught. And so there is a certain excitement that we need to get back to. Now, other than the obvious miracle... What is this resurrection teaching us? Well, notice Paul's unusual method for raising Eutychus from the dead. He embraced him while he was yet dead. It's so strange that a few liberal commentators suggest Paul was giving him mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. It takes more of a miracle to believe that, if you ask me. Uh, I think if you splat it on the ground from three stories, you need more than mouth-to-mouth. But uh, the thing about it is, he was really dead, as we've seen, not just mostly dead, And so Paul embraced him while he was yet dead. That's a picture, it's a type, it's a reminder of what Jesus did for you. While you were yet dead in trespasses and sins, he embraced you with his everlasting love by dying in your place on the cross at Calvary. In that wonderful embrace, he imparts life, eternal life, to all those who believe on him. Paul was also in the middle of a long teaching from the word of God after raising Eutychus He continued in the word, thus there is also a symbolism that the word is imparting spiritual life to the hearers. And one more thing, God used Paul to impart life. He gifted Paul to be enabled to raise the dead. Now, we may not ever be gifted to raise the dead, but we each have a gift or gifts from God the Holy Spirit. When we exercise them, we impart something that is alive, something that is powerful to the recipients. Thus, the exhortations this morning, find ways to impart the life of the Lord as you journey homeward, and you'll do that if you are investing your life for the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this text. Uh, I pray that the fun we've had with it, Lord, would be to the end of reminding us about it, that we would often think of this incident and that we would uh, identify with it, that we would understand the investment of a life and the impartation of life in ways that would encourage and bless us and strengthen and edify the body of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's stand together. The guys are up here to pray with you. Uh, If you need prayer, if you even think you need prayer, come on forward and just wait and let them pray uh, for you. I always like to exhort you to greet and meet somebody you've never met before. Uh, Go on into the cafe, spend some time in there having some fellowship. On your way out to the parking lot, pop into the bookstore just to see what we've got going on there and uh, encourage the staff. Uh, What a blessing to, to come together, to be together as the body of Christ on Sunday morning and to encourage one another. And, uh, you know, uh, if you fell asleep halfway through, God bless you. You know, I, I fell asleep at about 11.15, uh, but uh, I nodded off. But anyway, uh, God bless you. All things work together for good to those that love the Lord and are the called according to his purpose, and that's you. Amen.